Redbox Media Programming is brought to you by... We've got good news. The world is open again, and people like you, people of faith, are traveling to Catholic sites around the world. Want to travel with exceptional Catholic leaders this fall, next year, or in the future? Are you looking to see specific sites, celebrate traditional Latin Mass, or travel to destinations without vaccine requirements? We are here to help you deepen your faith on pilgrimage. Give us a call at 1-800-842-4842 or visit us online at selectinternationaltours.com. Select International Tours is your pilgrimage company, and we have the perfect Catholic trip for you. Are you looking to serve God and society? Consider putting your gifts to work as a lawyer. Ave Maria School of Law has been educating faith-filled lawyers for over 20 years. Ave Maria School of Law is committed to training lawyers to use law appropriately around the moral issues of our time. Visit AveMariaLaw.edu to learn more about integrating your faith with a law degree. Welcome back to Off the Shelf here on Breadbox Media. I'm your host, Pete Sox, Catholic book blogger. Today we have with us Terry Modica, who is co-founder and executive director of Good News Ministries, an author, international speaker, retreat director, photographer, podcast host, and faith formation teacher. She joined the Roman Catholic Church in 1977, drawn in by the Eucharist. She has a theology degree and certifications in two lay pastoral ministry institutes. She's been married to Ralph since 1975, and she's the mother of two. She has served the church in a wide variety of parish and diocesan ministries. And today we'll be discussing her latest book, My Soul Shall Be Healed, a five-part study guide on Ecclesia Dei Eucharista, the Church of the Eucharist. Welcome to the show, Terry. Hi, it's great to be here. Thanks. Thanks, yeah. Pete, for having me. You're quite welcome. So this is a great little book, but before we dive into the book, can you tell us a bit about your Apostolate Good News Ministries? Sure. Uh, Good News Ministries, my husband and I founded it in 1995. Uh, it was uh, originally just—we uh, gave seminars and, and workshops and courses at parishes and and uh, a couple times a year, we would do um, a, a week-long school of evangelization. And uh, then, then uh, the Internet started to become available to people, and we started building our Internet presence as well. And, and so now, so many years later, we've got several websites, and all of it with the purpose of building up people's faith, the Catholics in their, you know, to, to get to know um, how much God really cares about them, and what the true teachings of the church are, and how when we and what the gospel really is saying, and and how Jesus tells us to live, and when we live that out, when we live in that love, when we have um, the joy of the faith that comes from having the faith, because we're alive in the faith, then we evangelize others because we make the, tra the faith attractive to others. So that's the, the, the gist of the purpose of what we've set out to do and been and doing all these years. Mm -hmm. 
So what exactly prompted you to write uh, My Soul Shall Be Healed? Well, I've always had, it was a combination of things that came together. First of all, I've always had a real love for the Eucharist because that was the Eucharist that brought me into the Catholic faith. I was raised in a Protestant family. My father was a minister, and um, and I was raised to believe that you never want to be Catholic. <laughs> and uh, I um, I met somebody who I became friends with, who was who eventually became a priest, and he explained to me what the who the Eucharist is, and I said, "Wow." I, that's a miracle, and I want to have the miracle in my life, you know, and you get you get this every day. That's awesome. I want to be part of this. This, this is really Jesus. And the Holy Spirit just gave me an instant knowing that this was true. There was, you know, I had no doubt. It didn't take any convincing or anything. I just had, when the, as this friend described what who the Eucharist is and how— it happens that bread and, and wine are transformed or transubstantiated into Jesus Christ himself. I just couldn't stay away from it. So naturally, over the years, I just wanted everybody to know Jesus in the Eucharist as, as excitedly and, and um, enthusiastically as I did. And because, I mean, it's just totally awesome. You know, I, I grew up with like Jesus was my best friend. But I always would say, Lord, I want to see you. You know, you're just so intangible. And and in the Eucharist, it's very tangible. So, I, you know, I just, it, it's so alive. And mm-hmm. Jesus is so alive in the Eucharist, and it makes my faith so alive, and it makes my day-to-day, everything I'm doing, no matter how bad the hardships are, it gets me through it. And, and, and and not just barely through it, but, you know, with, with joy, even in the midst of hardships, even in the midst of being sorrowful. And so so that was one one of the elements that was in place. Um, another one was that in becoming Catholic, I devoured uh, the teachings of the Church because I wanted to know, you know, well, here's what I was taught in the Protestant Church that Catholics believe and that's why we don't want to become Catholic. Well, what's the truth about that? And so I would read, you know, church documents and the catechism and, and whatnot, and uh, I fell in love with uh, Pope St. Paul, St. John Paul II. Mm-hmm. I fell in love with his writings because he was such a good writer. And um, and so his, his document on Eucharistia, um, Ecclesia de Eucharistia, was something that, of course, was one of them that I wanted to read. And the Lord, the Holy Spirit has given me a knack for being able to take something that some people say, wow, that's churchy language, I don't know if I understand it, it's too heady for me, and and put it into words for everyday life, and here's how you apply what the Pope is saying, or what the Catechism, or whatever, is saying, to your everyday life, your everyday struggles, your everyday faith. And and so that's just one of the gifts that the Holy Spirit has given me all along. So I decided that in my ministry I was going to teach a course leading people through this document, Ecclesia de Eucharistia, and which means the Church of the Eucharist. And uh, so in, in preparing that course, I began to 
teach it online, and this was back in 2010, I think. I know it was a long time ago when um, you didn't have Zoom and doing online courses. The way I did it was was basically I um, I set an, up an email. Hey, join this e list, and every day I'll send you something, or every, uh, every you know every few days I would send something about it. They'd read it. And I'd ask questions in that email, and then we'd discuss it. And, you know, as as an e-group um, in, by email. Well, then I turned it into something that people could take at any time by go online and you sign up for this, and you'd, and you'd read this part and um, think about these questions. Mm-hmm. It wasn't a, a group discussion anymore, but it was always available. And that just evolved eventually. Um, well, not eventually. It wasn't too long after that that I was invited to Malawi to, um, there was a priest in Malawi who was, who was receiving the Good News Ministries. We send out, one of the things that I write is daily reflections on the readings from Catholic Mass, and he was, he was receiving those and said, and he was also the rector of the seminary there and said, I want you to come and teach our seminarians. And I'm like, wow! <laughs> Hmm. So, um, so he had me come for a week, and I taught two of John Paul II's documents uh, to the seminarians, their professors, and all the catechists of the diocese. They all came to this. Their bishop showed up as well, and uh, one of them was was the Pope's writing writing um, his document on the Rosary, and the other one was this one, Ecclesia de Eucharistia, and so. Uh, eventually, you know, I just, I just said this needs to be an ebook, mm-hmm. and so I created an ebook out of the course that I taught. And then uh, I hear about the uh, the U.S. bishops are getting together to plan uh, that we need to get people to fall in love with the Eucharist to realize the truth about the Eucharist, and and we we need to do something because. You know, uh, 70% of the people no longer believe that Jesus is truly present there. People are not coming back to Mass after the lockdown. Uh, so, you know, the, the bishops were planning to do something about this, and I thought, wow, now is the perfect time to turn this ebook into a regular book and get it out there more widely as, as a book that can be used in parish study groups. So that's how this book came to be published. Mm-hmm. So you kind of touched upon it there, but just to clarify for for us, do you see this being used as simply a group setting, or can it be used as personal study as well? It could be both. It's uh, designed for group study, but um, you know, where you come to the discussion questions, you just reflect on it because and discuss it with Jesus mm-hmm. because you, you're not in a group. But um, for, for parish groups, I've also put together a PowerPoint presentation that has the same questions on it that can be displayed on a TV or um, a screen or something uh, so that they can you know, facilitate the, the group experience a bit better. Mm-hmm. So, and again, you touched upon this a bit too, but to get into a little more, more detail, how has the Eucharist impacted your life as a convert? Uh, yeah, I really have touched on that. Um, it's, 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 it's everything, you know, it's like, um, it's, let me, 
tell you a story. Uh, many years ago, back in the late 80s, uh, I was writing a book um, called Overcoming the Power of the Occult. And because I wrote about that because when I was a teenager, I was seeking the supernatural and I got involved in the occult because that the church I belonged to didn't have anything supernatural going on at all. Mm-hmm. And so um, the occult was the only place that I found it. And that destroyed my relationship with Jesus. But the Eucharist, when my friend told me about Jesus, what happens in the, with, the, with the bread and the wine becomes Jesus himself through transubstantiation, you know, there was the supernatural. And so I that's where I got away from the occult and into the truth and into, you know, to God's side of the, you know, God's kingdom instead of the devil's kingdom. And so, uh, where was I going with that? Um, I got too, too many thoughts through my head. <laughs> so as I was writing this book called Overcoming the Power of the Occult, which is still available on Amazon, it's, it's, it's been uh, uh, out for a long time, but uh, as I was writing it, I was having some re- really weird difficulties. My, I didn't have a computer in those days. It was a Commodore 128. Remember those? Mm-hmm. If you're old enough, you might remember. Uh, so I, uh, the, the equipment would, would break down or uh, things kept happening one after another that was interfering with me writing this book. So in exasperation, I said, I'm going to start going to daily Mass, and I'm going to pray about this. Well, as soon as I started going to daily Mass, the, all the, that sequence of bad things happening stopped. And I said, aha, you know, there's some protection here, you know, the receiving the Eucharist. And, of course, it's not just about the Eucharist, and this book is not just about the Eucharist. It's about and the, the, the the Pope's document isn't just about the Eucharist, it's about we are the Church of the Eucharist, and going to Mass, all of Mass, is part of uniting ourselves to the Eucharist. So uh, there's a whole—and I have on my website, you know, the Good News Ministries website, which is gnm.org, uh, there's some courses, some video courses on the Mass itself and to really unpack how all of that leads up to us becoming one with Christ in the Eucharist, and then we're sent out to be Christ for the world. Uh, so I just I learned back at that time when I first started going to daily Mass that by going through that process, I was protected from demons. And, you know, it made a difference. And... and it, I still that still happens, you know. Mm-hmm. I still, in what I do, you know, there's still demons that don't like what I'm doing, mm-hmm. and I run to the Eucharist. I go to Eucharistic Adoration once a week now that our church has opened that back up, and you know, I go. I uh, don't get to daily mass every day, but when things start getting weird, I start going every day again, <laughs> and and things it, things get better. Or I'm burdened with something, and I lay it down at mentally at the altar um, when while Jesus is being consecrated, well, the bread and the wine are being consecrated into Jesus, um, and it makes a difference. I've had miracles happen because I do that. So, yeah, it's a big part of my life. Hmm. So, 
You mentioned the um, Pew study, where, um, and that was pre-COVID, that showed 70% of those in, in the pews didn't believe in the real presence. Um, so with your ministry background, what do you think led to that? There's been, this is one of the things that I've been real concerned about over the years. There's been a lot of watered-down faith, watered-down Catholicism that has been fed to the people. There's, it's not true in every parish, but there's been, a, I think, predominantly most parishes have not had dynamic preachers, you know, their, their priests and their deacons, who are who? Not every deacon, of course, gives homilies, but some of them maybe should because they might be better than the priest. But uh, the, the the homilies have not been filled with such solid teaching that it converts people. It it leads them to repentance. Mm-hmm. We all have areas of our lives that we need to examine more closely and go to repentance. And we, you know, one of the side effects of this watered-down teaching is that the people have, not only, it's not that they're not coming to Mass or believing in the, the true presence of Jesus in the Eucharist, but they're also not seeing any point in going to the Sacrament of Confession. And what, what I know where priests have come from, I've talked to a lot of them, I've read, you know, the articles about it and all that, I've studied this issue, they've been afraid that people are going to get up and walk out if they if they come right out during a homily and talk about abortion is a sin or whatever. And when they have tried it, people have walked out. Well, that's okay. If they walk out, they might, they, you know, maybe they weren't really there anyways. Or, uh, you know, we, we can't be afraid to speak the truth, mm-hmm. the hard truth. You know, the, the life-changing truth. And if people walk away from us, well, you know, they did from Jesus, too. And it, we pray for them, and we, we hope that in their walking away, they may think twice about, why did I walk away? Do I want to stay away? You know, and but meanwhile, everybody else who doesn't walk away is hearing the truth. And in reality, most people like to hear the hard truth coming from our shepherd, the, the priest, the pastor, because our shepherd is supposed to be a leader, and when the shepherds speak boldly and, and truthfully and honestly you know, about church teaching, and, and without mixing it with the, you know, what you know, the world wants us to compromise about it, or you know, worry about... Um, you know, is this politician receiving community, commun- communion wrongly or not? You know, and without worrying about those issues, just look at what the church truly teaches about it and has been teaching about it all 2,000 plus years. And let's teach it, let's preach it in the homilies clearly. I mean, there's so many wasted opportunities. Mm-hmm. The gospel readings and the other readings at Mass you know, have so many opportunities to change lives. And when people hear that kind of preaching, they look at their priests as heroic. You know, man, you're you're a priest who who is is brave enough to speak the truth. You're a hero. 
and people look for heroes, and people will actually rally around. You've got two parishes side by side in town, and one of them has the, has the priest speaking the truth boldly and challenging people to help them grow in holiness, and the other one is giving the watered-down version. Um, it's Especially nowadays, it's the parish where the, tr- the truth is being taught boldly and clearly that people are gravitating to, mm-hmm. because... They want to know. And because there's been such, for, for decades, such watered-down teaching, I mean, I mean, when was the last time you heard a priest talk about what's going on in the Mass? Right. You know, it, and, yes, I've been to some Masses where the priest, and it takes an extra half an hour, and he warns everybody ahead of time, Mass next week is going to be an hour and a half because it's going to be a teaching Mass. And he goes through, he, he pauses at all the different parts of the Mass and explains what's going on. And it's fascinating. And when he tells people, next week we're doing this, it's standing room only in in that Mass. You know, the people who haven't been to Mass come back or they bring their friends and say, hey, yeah, you're going to learn something interesting here. And that's without that kind of challenging, bold, teachings and taking the opportunity to really explain to people who is in the Eucharist. Why is it that way? Well, you know, why does it happen? You know, how can we trust that? How can we know it's real? Without that kind of homilizing about that, you know, without the kind of teaching, then of course people don't you know, they, they take it for granted. They, they think, oh, I'm coming to church because I'm supposed to come to church. And and when, you know, when when the doors are locked because of the pandemic mm-hmm. then, and we're given dispensation that we don't have to go, that gives the message of, well, yeah, it's not that important. You know, it's, right. it's okay. It's not really Jesus. So, I mean, it represents Jesus. So... So not to interrupt you there. But if I could see it on television. Not to interrupt you there, but that's exactly where I was heading with the next question was Ah. (laughs) we essentially, in the pandemic, when we locked those doors, those people that were already doubting the real presence, the importance of it, in some ways we sent them a signal that they were right. And I've had this conversation with various other officers. So how do we get those people back in the pews now? Well, I think one of the ways, I think it's going to happen, and one of the ways is that the evil that's going on in our world, the bad stuff that's happening, things are going to get so bad that people are going to run back to church. It's like 9-11, you know, I think there's a 9-11 moment coming. You know, Mm -hmm. I think with, right, you know, recently, the, what happened with Afghanistan, the, 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 te- the terrible pullout that we did there, mm-hmm. uh, you know, we look very weak to our enemies. And frankly, I really think we've got another 9-11 moment coming. And just like in that 9-11 of 2001, where people flocked back to church, um, I think it, it may not just be one moment, like back then, everything's so different now, but I think, I think it's going to reach a point where things get so scary and so troubling 
that people start flocking back to church, God help us, please help us, mm-hmm. that's when we need our shepherds to boldly say, not only welcome, but let me explain to you what you've come back to. And you know, ideally, the time for that would be special adult education, adult formation programs separate from the Mass, but those people aren't going to come to that necessarily. It the mass is the golden opportunity mm-hmm. to reach these people's hearts and evangelize. And that's one of the things I love about the Pope's, um, John Paul II's document, Ecclesia de Eucharistia. He talks about how the mass needs to be a time of extravagance because, like, when when uh, the woman before Jesus' final you know, trip into uh, to Jerusalem and his death, you know, when the woman poured the expensive oil perfume on his feet, you know, it's like this was an extravagance. This is an example of how we're to worship the Lord. And, you know, Pope John Paul II brought that up in this document. It's like we need to show, we need to be extravagant in our love for the Lord. And so when people do come back to church because they're filled with worry and fear and, and, and problems or, you know, they're, they're begging God to rescue us from some situation that's coming down the road. Uh, we need to be a church that not only welcomes them back, which I think we would be already, but we need to be a church that makes people say, wow, there's something special here that I've been missing, and I never want to miss it again. It's Jesus in the Eucharist, mm-hmm. you know. And and there needs to be there needs to be some solid, solid teaching about that when people start coming back to mass. And even now, so that people who do come to mass and people who are coming to mass, I think are I call them the remnant, the ones who have been faithful and serious about it all along, and. You know, we're we're people who know lots of others who are not coming to church. They've left the church. We have family members who have, have quit going to church and see no point in going, and we're like, how do we get them to understand? How do we get them to come back? So another thing that can be done is we, as people, need to avail ourselves of opportunities and create opportunities if we're in the position to be able to do that in our parishes where— we learn more about, we, we provide those who are coming to Mass opportunities to come another time and learn more about, which is why this book is out. Mm-hmm. You know, it, it's why, you know, it, it's a tool that people can use and study it together or alone, and it gives you something that you could talk about to your friends, to your coworkers, to your family members who aren't going to church, but you know they've got some kind of Catholic background, or they're they're not Catholic, but they might be curious about why do you believe what you believe? Why do you go to church when you don't have to, or whatever? And and it 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 creates talking points mm-hmm. and ideas for how to to get people to be interested in our faith and and coming to church to meet this Jesus who's present there in the Eucharist. So, again, this is a great little book. It comes in at 60 pages. So, uh, for the five-part study, what is your greatest hope uh, for this book? 
my greatest hope would be that when the the U.S. bishops meet together, <laughs> that they say, oh, Terry Modica has his book out. Let's use this. <laughs> recommend it to all the parishes. But, I mean, uh, I don't know whether that's going to happen. I don't expect that to happen. But um, but it's it's something – my, my greatest hope is that we can get the word out that this book does exist. And so when when parishes are looking for something to do to help people understand the Eucharist better and help people understand the Mass more and, and, and get more excited about the Mass, um, that this will be in their radar, so to speak, so that they see it as a tool that can be used. And that's my hope, is just for it to change lives and bring countless people back to church and to bring those who are in the church into a more full, uh, more aware relationship, personal relationship with Jesus who is in the Eucharist. Mm. All good stuff, and it's definitely something we need these days. Terry, uh, where can people find your book, My Soul Shall Be Healed? Well, if they go to the website, gnm.org, uh, there's a, a you could, on every page, either at the very bottom or at the very top, the homepage has it at the top. All the other pages has it at the bottom. There is a big banner uh, advertising this book, and you click through to that, and it takes you to a, ba- a page that describes the book and leads you to two different ways of getting it. You can get it as an ebook from Catholic Digital Resources, or you can get it as a paperback book from Caris Books. And so the links to both of those are on that page. Fantastic. And Terry, I want to thank you for taking time out of your schedule and spending it with us today. Any closing thoughts? Well, yeah, I, I, I think we just, in addition to using this book and getting it into the hands of others, I hope that people will, will show it to their priest and their DRE and say, hey, let's do this in our parish because everybody can be an ambassador for the Eucharist by getting a hold of this book and then and but when you buy your own copy buy an extra one to give to your pastor you know and buy another a third one to give to your DRE or whoever's in charge of adult faith formation and be an ambassador for the Eucharist with that you've been listening to Off the Shelf here on Redbox Media I'm your host Pete Sox Catholic Cook Blogger until next time God bless This is Kevin O'Brien of EWTN's Theater of the Word. I'm excited also to teach middle school and high school literature, speech, and drama with homeschoolconnections.com, an online Catholic curriculum provider. Your student can meet with me online for a live, interactive class. Whether you take apologetics with John Martinoni or grade school with Jackie De La Viaga or any of the other 400-plus courses with homeschoolconnections.com, online Catholic learning for your homeschooling family is available for you.